After that was the Breeders with the song Safari. And this is Tiny Vipers, Summing of Moments. About to fade that out. You're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor right now. Stay tuned for Living Writers. Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel, and today I'm so happy to have Shanna Marola here in the studio. Shanna, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for being here on this this hot day here in like the, the last days of spring in Ann Arbor. Um, and we've got the Liz behind the glass. Um, Shanna, thanks for picking the, the music for today's program. Um, we're starting, it's Sonic Youth, right? I, We're going to be hearing a little Sonic Youth today. I've been in a Sonic Youth type of mood. Why? Can you, can, can you, <laughs> yeah, what's going on? I don't know. I think it's summertime, mm. you know? So does it just kind of get you going? I think so. Sort of thing? Okay. It's a little nostalgic, yeah. <laughs> what Summer's is, past. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think of when, you, when you're listening to? Oh, man, at this point, high school. I guess I'm dating myself. <laughs> Sonic Youth, though, is... Timeless, Classic, isn't it? Yeah. It's just, okay, before we go any further, I'm going to read uh, your bio and then we'll go from there, Shanna. Um, Shanna Marola is a visual artist, documentary photographer, and legal worker. Over the past several years, she has been a human rights observer for social justice movements across the country, from the deeply embattled struggle for water rights in Detroit and Flint, Michigan, to the front lines of uprisings in Ferguson, Missouri, and Standing Rock, North Dakota. Her collages and constructed landscapes are informed by these events, from direct actions against fracking companies to the privatization of water, both globally and locally. Marola lives in Detroit, Michigan, where she works in collaboration with activist art collectives Detroit Resists and Detroit Homeland Security. In addition, she facilitates Know Your Rights workshops on best practices during police encounters and coordinates legal support for grassroots organizations through the Michigan chapter of the National Lawyers Guild. Marola has been a lecturer and visiting artist at the Rhode Island School of Design, the University of Mi Michigan Institute for the Humanities, Cranbrook Academy of Art, the University of Richmond Department of Art and Art History, and the School of Visual and Performing Arts at the University of Toledo. Her work has been published by the Humble Arts Foundations, Art 21 Magazine, Wayne State University Press, and Nat Brut, 
She has been awarded studio residencies at the McDowell Colony, just back from that, right? Shanna, welcome home. And the Santa Fe Art Institute and fellowships through the Virginia Museum of Fine Art and the Midwest Environmental Justice Network. Marola holds an MFA in photography from Cranbrook. Cranbrook Academy of Art and a BFA in photo and film from Virginia Commonwealth University and was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut. (laughs) So again, Shanna, welcome to the program. And I've been so looking forward to talking with you about your work, about your art and and about your your work in organizing and in in legal work. Uh, So thanks again for coming. (laughs) It's great to be here in Ann Arbor. Well, and so you spent some time um, when you were in residency for the Humanities Institute. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Last semester, I was uh, a visiting artist at the Institute for Humanities. Um, it was a really amazing experience. I had the opportunity to come and give an artist lecture and then do a legal observer workshop with some of the students here. And how, how'd that go? How It seems very timely. Um, there, there seems to be, um, just looking in from the outside because I'm living in Detroit right now, but there seems to be a lot of amazing student, uh, organizing going on on the campuses in Ann Arbor and at EMU. So it was really, I was grateful to be able to be here and sort of share those skills. Um, Every time I do a workshop, I definitely learn from the people who come from the organizers and the students. So, um, it was great. I hope to do another one. Oh, well, it's so good to see you here today. And we'll be talking a little bit more about this later so people can find ways if they want to get involved and hear about some of the things you've been doing for years now, the art and activism. Specifically with the National Lawyers Guild, I started in 2013 doing legal observing, uh, human rights observing, and then Know Your Rights workshops. Um, How did that start? How did you get interested in that? You know, I got involved through um, doing anti-police brutality work in Detroit. When I moved to Detroit about eight years ago now, I um, really wanted to get involved. Um, My previous photo projects had been based on like local, um, researching local histories. So VCU, when you were at VCU. Virginia mm-hmm. Commonwealth yeah. University, yep. and uh, your project seemed steeped in. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Project? Sure. There was a uh, so the school that I went to actually owned a parking lot that was um, paved over an African burial ground, and so there were some small uh, activist groups who were trying to get the rights to the burial ground and just at first just trying to get the uh, burial ground recognized. Um, Anna Edwards with the Sacred Ground Reclamation Project. And so it's been a very long struggle. Um, the It was, you know, just years of city council meetings, organizing, direct action, protests. And they have um, now... Now, from what I understand, I don't really remember like all of the details around it, but the land is not a parking lot anymore. I think it's um, city land, but it hasn't actually been uh negotiated so that the community can have like the rights to it that's what they're still fighting for um and i'm sorry i don't remember like all the details no that's well this is when you were in undergrad this project Mm -hmm, yeah and so and you were doing photography and film at at yes yeah so i did a project where i um photographed all of the different um different sites that were integral to the slave trade in that area um, because New, uh, Richmond was the second largest slave trading hub outside of New Orleans. Um, 
in in the northern south. So it was the largest place where human trafficking happened in in the northern south. Um, And at the time when I started in 2007, there were no markers that indicated what the history of those places were. Um, So I just met with local historians and activists and um, started to talk to them and organize with them. And I created a photo series of what the land looks like now. And you started in the evenings, it seems like, from that project. You went out and took photos at night. I was taking then... photos with a pinhole camera at night. Um, so they're, they're beautiful. Oh, thank you. Well, they were. Um, it was like a very long exposure for each one that sort of forced me to sit with the land for a long time. And it was interesting because I would meet people walking by and they'd ask me what I was doing and I would have conversations with them. But I was um, also from talking to the local historians learned that at night is when they would bring the slave ships would dock um, at the Manchester docks and slaves would be led down through a path into Shaco Bottom um, where there were auction houses and um, slave jails. And this would all happen under the cover of night so that people who lived in the city wouldn't have to see it happen during the day. And so your your latest project, um, We Are All Downwind, We All Live Downwind, um, this seems like this is kind of, this is a almost, it feels like it's part of your mission, a continuation of your art, where now it's like the like we are all bearing witness. It's there's it seems like there's a, eyes and vision in this latest project, which is um, a collage, a series of images. How could you describe it for us? Because where I know we're at a little bit of a disadvantage since we're talking about a visual art uh, piece and we're doing it on the radio. Sure. <laughs> um, so, um, but everyone, you could go to Shanna Marola's site. Um, your website, um, shannamarola.com. Mm-hmm. And if you click on We All Live Downwind, you can actually be looking at the images um, as we're talking about them. Sure, yeah. And so I can talk about it a little bit. I um, I was really influenced by Naomi Klein's The Shock Doctrine. I started reading it um, a few years ago and um, was drawing a lot of correlations between uh, the ideas she was talking about with disaster capitalism and how that affects poor communities, um, communities of color that are already struggling um, bearing the brunt of environmental racism and industrial legacies um, and it just resonated so much um, to what I was seeing in Detroit. I started making these collages where um, basically I'll read an article about fracking. Um, I'll pull out some interesting, you know, words or um, important words from the article. And then I do a Google image search. Um, and with that sort of like archive of image ser- of images, I'll print those out and then I'll construct a photograph from it. So it's sort of an amalgamation of all of these different things that I find online. And um, most of the articles revolve around uh, disaster capitalism, privatization of public resources and environmental disaster. And so what is disaster capitalism? OK. <laughs> <laughs> and and <laughs> Wow. So I guess, you know, I can't really, I can't speak to it so much academically as I guess I would rather speak no, to it person as, to person. From okay. what I see yeah. in my neighborhood, it's water shutoffs and um, it's Flint being poisoned for three years without any help. And then it's um, town halls, public meetings where people are coming to voice their concerns in Flint about being poisoned and then being arrested um, having the town halls be highly militarized 
um, with riot gear cops in place. Um, that's a thing that hall. happened, you know, a month or two ago. That's a thing that happened. So it makes you wonder what they're expecting. Yeah. Right. Like that. And so can you say more about this town hall meeting that you were at a month ago? I can say that guild attorneys are trying to help uh, the uh, restees get their charges dropped because there were multiple civil rights violations for sure. And it seems like since you began doing the work in 2013, there's been an uptick in you even saw it, I think, in demonstrations happening earlier in Detroit when I was on your website look, reading through and reading through some of the your, your materials. Um, uh, it seems like it um, maybe it was the Detroit 15 is what I'm connecting it to. The D15 the fast D food strikes. Yes. Yeah, they're amazing. Um, so, um, well, I guess I'll take it a back just a little bit. Um, I did get involved originally through doing anti-police brutality work. And when I was, I was working with the coalition against police brutality in Detroit, the, my, my mentor who, um, passed away a few years ago, Ron Scott was the co-founder, one of the co-founders of the Detroit chapter of the Black Panther Party. And he was a spokesperson for the coalition, worked, um, with the Bog Center, was very close, you know, um, practically family with Grace Lee Boggs. And so I, I came into the social justice movement um, in Detroit through the Bog Center, really wanting to understand more about um, the myths and the narratives around 67. Um, and as soon as I approached... So 1967, the rebellion right. of yeah. 1967. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. Okay. And then, and, go ahead. Yeah, I thought I was going to do another history project the way that I, I had worked with groups, in, the group in... Um, Virginia to do the same in uh, Detroit. And so I collected some uh, oral histories um, with with Ron and some other members of the coalition and created a few pieces about the 67 uprising. Was Ron Scott, was he there? Was he someone? Yeah, he was. Yep. He, he lived in a neighborhood that was affected. That was um, where the National Guard was brought in. And so is that when he became your mentor in a way? Um, well, he, so when I met Ron, um, this was seven years ago, um, and he had, I think, formed the Coalition Against Police Brutality in the 90s with a bunch of other community activists and uh, family members of people who had lost loved ones to police brutality. Um, and he was a first responder, so he would be there to, he was there with Ayanna Jones's family when she was shot um, and murdered by Officer Weekly, um, and so a lot of what we did was, um, you know, we did support for families. We were doing court support. Um, we were doing also neighborhood projects, housing board up projects, um, you know, conflict resolution, and um, block parties, things that bring neighbors together, you know. Um, and because sometimes it it's up to like when when the system is failing you, it's the the neighborhood, it's the community mm -hmm. that's that's actually what starts saving people and talking to your neighbors and trying to figure out how you can work through issues without calling the police. That makes a lot of sense. That does. <laughs> um, well, it seems like we've got so you've come to the you went to the um, the the Grace Lee Boggs Center. And then you met Ron Scott. 
what got you to the Grace Lee Boggs Center? How did that, because it seems like you were always interested in activism. You know what? Let's take a short break. And then when we come back, do you mind if we start there, sure. Shanna? Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Today on the program, Shanna Marola is here. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers. We've got the Liz behind the glass. We'll be right back. you're tuning in because you've got living writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor and today Shanna Marola is here in the studio um we're we're talking we've been talking about Shanna's art and about your work your legal work your activism and how both of these intersect really um it's you have multiple passions but they seem to be working together um so let's see we've 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 placed you Born in Bridgeport, Connecticut, the first U.S. city to declare like formal bankruptcy, I think, which is interesting. And now then you went to <laughs> Richmond, Virginia for undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you came to Detroit for Cranbrook. For graduate school. So could you tell it? Yeah. Sure. Tell yeah. Us about that path. I, unlike a lot of artists, I actually came, I didn't come here for Detroit. I didn't know anything about Detroit. Um, I'd always lived on the East Coast and thought that I would be heading back to the East Coast after Cranbrook. It's a two-year program. I went to study under Liz Cohen, um, another mentor who was amazing, my art mentor. And um, when I was finished, by the time I was finished with the two-year program, I had fallen in love with Detroit, and I was learning so much about the history of the civil rights movement um, here in the Midwest, and that really fascinated me. So I decided to stay, and that's when I and put down roots and... Um, that's when I found the 
Gracie Bog Center. Um, and I was drawn to them because they are working with frontline communities and, and people who are the most affected um, by, you know, what I always refer to as disaster capitalism. Um, so I was interested in finding out how I could get involved with them. And then shortly after, I discovered the Coalition Against Police Brutality. Um, Ron Scott was a member of the board of the National Lawyers Guild. And uh, that's how I eventually also found the National Lawyers Guild. So it was sort of a, I don't know, a really organic transition somehow. Even though I have two, de two degrees in art, I became uh, an activist legal worker. And so, and what do you do? What, what's your, your title? Sure. So in 2013, I became the legal observer coordinator for the uh, Detroit chapter of the National Lawyers Guild, um, a group that has, uh, it's a progressive um, legal group that has historically um, defended, guild attorneys defended prisoners during the Attica uprising. Um We've defended people during Occupy, during a lot of the mass mobilizations around um, the RNCs and DNCs of the past, um, and then more recent uprisings against police brutality, Baltimore, Ferguson, um, New York, Charlotte, and uh, Standing Rock. And you, you went to Ferguson and, and Standing Rock. I did. So um, I... I mostly was uh, legal observing in Detroit for the first two years, and I started facilitating legal observer trainings. Um, the year that I began in 2013 is the year that the city fell into bankruptcy and emergency management, um, which created a, a really um, problematic shift for public-private partnerships in the city. Um, so a lot of the what we were seeing at protests were private security, um, sort of pushing residents, longtime residents, um, and activists and organizers out of public spaces that had historically always been public. Um, and this really concerning shift is sort of, you know, what I'd been focusing on for the most part um, in Detroit because it's, it's like emblematic of the erosion of our civil rights. Um, and then uh, in 2014... When Mike Brown was shot in Ferguson, there was a national call on the mass defense listserv with the National Lawyers Guild uh, for legal observers to go to Ferguson. And that request came from organizers on the ground in Ferguson in response to massive civil rights and human rights violations they were seeing. Um, so I went with a group of legal observers from Detroit. Uh, I was there six days after Mike Brown was murdered, and um, we just legal observed uh, – for a couple of days, it was sort of day to night protests that really didn't stop. We were just taking shifts and going back home and sleeping. And then you'd go back out again and you'd get dispatched to another protest. So could you say a little bit more about what it's like when you are a legal observer? Because you say, you know, you're you're out there and then or you get dispatched. So what does what does it look like? like it's always different, you know, because protests and <laughs> direct actions are always different. So um, I I tell people in my in the legal observer trainings that we facilitate that um, a lot of what you're going to see are permitted marches, you know, and which are 
very important. You know, we'll be out there on the streets for something that is um, sort of like a standard march or protest. Um, And then we also go to demonstrations where things might escalate um, and tensions might occur during protesters and police. Um, And so that's um, usually like, you know, the RNC, Standing Rock, Ferguson are a smaller percentage of the demos that I go to. And are you, how do you, do you identify yourself as a legal observer? Do you, and you're a photographer. You're also a, um, you're a visual artist. You're a documentary photographer. So this is where some of your work, it seems like, do you always have your camera out? Because in the images that um, people could see, if they go to your site, Mm -hmm. shannonmarola.com, you could look up um, your your Ferguson piece. Um, I do have a section for documentary work. Yeah. yeah. So I, um, yeah. So with um, documentary work, I really think of that as something a skill that I can also um, give back to the community that I work with. Um, I have two degrees in photography, and it's really you know I went to Cranbrook to. Um, learn more about contemporary and conceptual art. Um, So most of the work on my series is, that's what I consider my artwork. Um, And then I also do documentary work, but I sort of, like, I'll give that to people if they need it, Um, if it is beneficial for them to put on their websites or, you know, if I'm out at a protest and somebody says, hey, can I have these photos? Um, If I'm legal observing and um, someone gets arrested, then all of that documentation that we take as legal observers goes to the attorneys. So that's all um, under attorney-client privilege. And so it's sort of like a, you know, I feel like I'm just trying to get as much out of photography and the skills that I have to sort of like give to the movement. Right. Um, and it's so photography is activism in a way and to, but to give to the movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess, you know, that's why I started collecting oral histories, too. I'm kind of all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to figure it out. Yeah, but it's I, but it feels like it's all of um of a piece. Mm-hmm. It's like a fabric that you can see these threads um, coming together. It didn't start out that way at first, you know. I think it just felt so urgent to be documenting these things because we're seeing um, some really uh, intense violations of civil and human rights in this country. Um, that, you know, I think that we're on the brink of something, um, with the privatization of the police force that we haven't seen before. Um, you know, thinking about just the recent, uh, article that came out about Tiger Swan in North Dakota. What could you say more? Um, about Tiger Swan. So (laughs) from what I understand... Um, Tiger Swan is a private security firm that was um, hired to do surveillance on the water protectors, and they actually came out of Blackwater. They were um, trained by Blackwater, um, and so they're working sort of in tandem to what degree I don't know right. you know but with the Morton County sheriffs but, but when you think of I think when I think but with my very limited knowledge of this when you when I hear like Blackwater I think ops that are sent overseas mm-hmm. for huge vast amounts of money mm-hmm. and so now if if this is the case then we're having these ops um 
in tactical positions around our own people that are just trying to think about water and mm-hmm. protecting water that's a, a native uh, um, American, like a, a right. Um, so, yeah, so it seems like so important. <laughs> These workshops that you guys are doing, Know Your Rights um, workshops, I think maybe every citizen needs to start thinking about how we're interconnected and have to stand up for each other. Yeah, I I mean, I would say so. And also to um, think, you know, just sort of know what your rights are. And then in terms of civil rights, trying pushing to preserve them um, as best as you can, because they are eroding. And I see Tiger Swan um, as being directly connected to the privatization of public spaces in Detroit, um, because there are private security um firms in Detroit who are now controlling those public spaces. Um, and so when you say that, um, could, is an example of that public space, like being outside of Tiger Stadium or when, what do like you campus Martius or uh, Grand Circus Park? Oh, places where, you know, literally since for a hundred years, it's a people have been gathering public... to right, express their uh, First Amendment rights. Freedom to assemble. So why is this group then tasked? Like, who hires them? Is it the city that's hiring them? Can I say Dan Gilbert on radio? But I, I think you can. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, and is there, like, um, so a private citizen then of a, uh, that runs a large corporation in town mm-hmm. is bringing in outside security firms. As I'm saying this to you, I feel like a complete naive person somehow so thanks for talking with me about this it's, right now and because uh, i and we're going to talk about your visual art too, i promise <laughs> i think it's hard to imagine if you're not living with it every day you know but and it's 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 my perspective you might talk to somebody else who lives down in that area um who has a different perspective but from what i've seen in the short amount of time that i've been in detroit longtime residents um and uh, very poor people, homeless people, um, have been pushed out of these places that have been, you know, really neglected by the city for a long time. And now that it's become profitable and privatized, um, they're getting pushed out. There needs to be a place for all the citizens, all the people of Detroit, um, all the people. It doesn't even have to be about citizens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So let's let's take a short break. We'll come back today on the program, today on Living Writers. Shannon Marola is here. Um, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about her, her latest project, We All Live Downwind. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers. We'll be back.
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. And today on the program, Shanna Marola is here in the studio. Um, so, Shanna, uh, you've got your visual art and your documentary photography is also up on your site, shannamarola.com. And folks can go and um, check that out. Um, I've been mentioning we all live downwind. <laughs> For a while. So let's, let's talk about it. You talked sure. about some of the process mm -hmm. earlier in the program, mm -hmm. um, which I found so interesting, because I was going to ask you if it was a mixture of your own photographs or but it sounds like it's all photographs out in the world that Sometimes you're Sometimes I use collecting. my own and more and more I've been photographing um, super fun sites around the Midwest um, and brownfield sites. Uh, but yeah, most for the most part, they're um, sourced from the internet. And I sort of like I started off in photography 10 years ago in the dark room. And I really I think I just missed working with my hands. Um, so I went everything moved to digital. I moved to a digital camera, but always really missed um, putting things together, you know. And so I think that the urge to print things out from the Internet, cut it up and then assemble it and make this little sculpture. And then I re I photograph the sculpture. So it's like a it's kind of a process. Um, but I um, it also sort of forces me to do a lot of research on issues that I'm interested in and I'm running into a lot because, um, for example, something that I focused on with quite a few of the images is uh, fracking. And um, there is an anti-frack waste movement happening in Detroit now, not very far from my house. Um, there's a facility called U.S. Ecology that is um, starting to accept um, fracking waste from Ohio and Pennsylvania, and um, the residents do not want it. It's radioactive waste, and the facility has um, had violations before for how they are handling the waste that they already have. So without going into too much detail about it, um, I'll go out and legal observe for a demonstration. And in our corner of Michigan, there are a lot of demonstrations um, against um, fossil fuel, you know, runoff and byproducts of the fossil fuel industry, pet coke piles that are sitting on the river in Southwest that aren't covered. Um, they're gone now from that area. But Where did at the time, go? I don't know. And that's uh, people, you know, I don't know. <laughs> but um, there's been some, you know, people have raised that question. And I've even heard that it was just moved to like a, another part of Detroit. Um, and who knows if they'll bring it back. So what you see is, um, I think, you know, low income communities of color are their neighborhoods are the dumping grounds for um, all of this really toxic material. Um, so anyway, that since I'm around it a lot and I'm sort of witnessing people struggling against that, it becomes the material for a lot of the collages that I'm working on. So for this, um, for this project, can you talk us through maybe one of the particular images that you created? Cause I love to also hear how you said it was, it becomes a sculpture and then you take a photograph of the sculpture and then, and then it. Then, sure. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I will research, um, let's take fracking and some of the chemicals, some of the toxins that are released, you know, from the ground, from the process of fracking. And some of them are naturally occurring elements that just are supposed to be way deep down in the earth and not up here where we're walking around. Right. Um, formaldehyde, cadmium, lead, 
and um, they all have effects on the human body. So I'll also research, I'll research what those elements look like. I'll research um, fracking fields. What does a fracking field look like? And then I'll research what are some of the health effects of people who live near, um, you know, processing centers or, you know, um, areas where uh, frack wells exist. And so then um, I'll end up with... Uh, well, I guess, for example, I did a piece about Fukushima, and um, there was a situation where the animals were having, like, cataracts and all kinds of different mutations. So I'll also cut out images of the what an eyeball looks like with cataracts. And so that gets sort of submerged into a pipeline or underneath the earth, and that's uh, it's an amalgamation. And so in one of the images, then... Um that I saw also featured um, uh, a woman, I think a woman's face with a frog, partial part of a frog mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are there are a couple too. Um, again, it was really, it's really been heavily influenced by Naomi Klein's disaster capitalism. And in the book, she does talk about the dismantling of, um, of public, um, you know, public resources. And what happens to communities when they're left without those resources and then a crumbling infrastructure? So what does that look like? What are the effects of um, unregulated, you know, uh, the oil and gas industry um, on people, on the human body? Um, and then also, you know, just sort of the, the wealth gap when you have a, an area where um, some people have a lot of money and then many really don't. And then when that gap gets bigger and bigger, um, what is, how does that affect policing? Right. And which is happening. It's in our country mm -hmm. now, year after year, the gap is getting wider. You know, I feel like in some ways the U.S. has been sort of self-satisfied, like looking at other countries where there's like, oh, it's just, oh, you know, some some countries, for example, in South America, perhaps like there's such a rich, wealthy class and then so much poverty for everyone else. And then us being like we of the middle class or so. And then no one is it seems like it's it, we're not awake enough to be protecting the middle class that, so that more people can be I don't know. It even actually just saying middle class then made me think it would, even that sounds archaic, like a class system. Well, I think there's... that that was really the <laughs> I think that that was the dream of Detroit, right? Right. You know, right. and it seems it seems here that the middle class is really feeling it. The the middle class is really slipping, and is that something? Um, you know, one thing that I find really beautiful about the um, groups that I work with, the organizers I know and the community members I know, is that a lot of them are not trying to get back to that middle class because they believe that that, that the middle class um, existed off of the exploitation of others. Um, and so the groups that I'm working with in Detroit are really talking about cooperative economics and different models of um, existing outside of a cap uh, outside of a capitalist system <laughs> and so cooperative economics would that be bartering would that be exchange of goods skill shares um free markets uh i can even talk about i guess when i lived briefly in maine i was working with a great group um called food and medicine and they did csas community sort community supported agriculture um and laid off 
workers, it's a, it's a very poor state. It's mostly a poor uh, white working class state. Um, and there's not a lot of industry there. Um, and so this um, program would have laid off um, employees come to the farm and work on the farm for shares of food. Um, so at least people were, you know, um, they didn't have money coming in, but they had food to bring back to their families and were like learning skills. Right. And feeling like and contributing instead of feeling like just this endless search for a job that you feel like isn't even out there open to you. And feeling connected to a food source, you know, which I think is incredibly empowering. And well, if you don't have food, you have no security. Mm -hmm. If you have no source, right? I've, okay, let's. I want to ask you a process question connected back to um, we all live downwind, and it's so funny because there's also um, images um, in the project that I think are water images and fish, mm -hmm. and and so in my mind, I I lay I lay downriver over <laughs> downwind as well. Mm -hmm. um, but but of course it was um, key that you said downwind, and mm -hmm. and you implicate everyone. We all live downwind, so it's not just particular neighborhoods right now it is that people are are being hard hit and exploited and um ignored mm -hmm. right but i mean it's our planet so it, at some point all of this is it's is that the 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 reason for the title yeah Shanna, I, absolutely is i love the fact that you think of water you know because in a lot of the images do include water because it's affecting our air our water our soil and all the basic things that we need to survive you know the ceo of nestle um, publicly gave a public statement that water is not a human right and we <laughs> we challenged that in detroit and flint I can't believe someone would say that water isn't a, a human right. Was that that was was that a while ago? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Because I don't know. Yeah, Nestle, very complicated <laughs> corporation. It's done a lot of. Anyway, okay. Um, <laughs> is it so in the project? Is it important how the images are sequenced? Because on the site now we are all downwind. It's a series of twenty images. The first image shows hands. And there's like a blue color. There's like the the uh, the arms are. Um, there's like they're injured. There's obviously like, I think, sewn or burn marks. Right. OK. Yeah. So that's a um, image of Fukushima in the background behind the pipes. And then that was another situation where I was looking at. Um, I started looking at surgeries that you might have to also get if you live in an area that's been f affected by environmental disaster um, and so sometimes I'm pairing those like sort of disjointed body parts with the landscapes because um, I'm just thinking about sort of I guess the the um, the dismantling of the earth the disregard of the earth the disregard to our bodies and how um, that's all connected you know, um, and then trying to visually, like quite literally connect it in one frame. So you're looking at it all at the same time. So and each frame then would be compositionally, it's a collage. Mm -hmm. And so there's there's something you've created this world within that frame. And then there's a sequence because then there's 20 such frames, mm -hmm. each unique. Um, so one of the th threads that seems to create the sequence is this use of these 
body parts and usually with some type of injury in them. So it's so is that one of the connectors that makes this a sequence? And is it important that we see the images in the sequence that you've put them um, on the site? Or is it I think just that the, the I nature think, of that platform? <laughs> so I think the sequence is really aesthetics. So I, I think when I sequence things, it's really intuitive. And it might have something to do with just... Um, this one has hands, so does this one. I don't want it to get repetitive, so I'm going to space them out. And then which color leads into the next? Um, the Each individual piece is conceptual in the sense that um, I'm trying to link together all of these different um, concepts, you know. And I, I think I'm still struggling with it, though, because it's um, a lot easier to show the harm um, of the effects uh, to the human body and the land than it is to show privatization. Privatization is a little bit more, um, you know, I don't know. Abstract. <laughs> yes, yes, thank you. <laughs> Let's take a short break okay. and then we'll come back and we'll talk more abstractly. <laughs> so hang on, everybody. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Shannon Marola is here. We'll be back. Living Writers, I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Shanna Marola is here. Um, Shanna, thanks so much for coming and talking with me today. I've so enjoyed it and, and meeting you. Um, so in the work that are you, is, um, is We All Live Downwind, is it a continuing project? Are you still creating these pieces or, or, the, or, or what's happening now? How? I thought I was done, but I think I, I might need a couple more. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been working on them for a while. It's been it's it's been a long process, you know. Um, I've taken a few out from when I started, so now I'm finally to a place where I feel happy with it. But I, I think that there's still more that I want to say about this. Um, I just got involved with a group in Detroit called Breathe Free Detroit, and they're working to see the Detroit incinerator shut down because the incinerator is in violation of um, regulations and um the people who live in the areas directly around the incinerator are experiencing headaches and asthma and all kinds of um, health issues. Um, and there was a public hearing uh a couple months ago where a lot of community members came out, it was really powerful. Um, and the MDEQ was there to, you know, quote unquote, listen to what they had to say. The MDQ? The MDEQ has not been helpful. Um, so I think that there needs to be, you know, the campaign is, is pushing to see, um, you know, um, pressure put on the incinerator, but also on, um, the city and the MDQ to do their job and protect people from, uh, what does MDQ industry. stand for? The Michigan Department of Environmental Quality. Oh, <laughs> I should probably know I'm that. sorry. <laughs> no, I should have. <laughs> no. Okay. That's really interesting. That's because I, I feel like in some ways um, I've been interested also in thinking um, maybe even literally closer to home, um, the dioxin plume here in Ann Arbor and wondering. Um, well, dioxin <laughs> is also a chemical that um, is really prevalent in the burning of what's being burnt in the incinerator and there are no levels of dioxin that are healthy for people just like lead just like in flint um dioxin was the chemical that they found in love canal you know so people were having birth defects babies with birth defects because dioxin is not okay to have your in your air or water um and so agencies like the michigan department of environmental quality are in place to protect us from industry um, so I hope that they do the right thing. Oh, yeah, me too. If you're listening out there, please do do the right thing. <laughs> um, and you can go to, um, I believe, um, so there's a group called EMIAC in Detroit that does great environmental justice work. And then also Breathe Free Detroit is To working. find out more. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, excellent. And maybe connect into mm -hmm. some things and learn more and find ways to be involved. For sure. Excellent. Um, so... Also, the workshops. Are there some upcoming workshops so people could, if they're interested in going to Know Your Rights workshop or to become a legal observer? Sure, yeah. So legal observer um, workshops are open um, to law students. It's it's mostly the bulk of who makes up uh, the legal observer program are attorneys and law students because that's who generally knows about it. But they're also open to students and community members and activists. Um, we generally hold them a couple of times a year at different um, universities. So we have done them at Wayne State, U of M, um, in Lansing, at MSU. Um, but we will go anywhere. We just have to... Um, you can send me a request <laughs> and I can set that up for your university. We'll also come out to community spaces too. Um, we just need a projector and um, 
There is a slideshow. There are some role plays. There's some videos that we show. We try to make it kind of interactive. Um, the Know Your Rights workshops are generally, historically, the National Lawyers Guild has done Know Your Rights, know your rights workshops specifically for um, protests um, and direct actions. So, um, but more recently, we have branched out and we're starting to create more for immigration for sanctuary cities. Um, and uh, those workshops can sort of be tailored to the request of the community that's asking for them. And so how would someone get in touch with, with you? Would they email you? Would they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can send me an email uh, to shanmarola at locoordinator at michiganlg.org. Great, great. Um, so I wanted to go back to talk a little bit about um, your mentor, Ron Scott, and how you would um, uh, go with him to talk. Well, you would go and interview. He would go with you, introduce you to some people oh. who were part of the 1967 rebellion. Is this so? It was. It was actually a little bit more um, organic than that. I I interviewed him on his experiences of the 67 rebellion. And this was sort of like a side project of mine while I was working with the coalition, um, because Ron would use uh, his experiences from 67 as an organizing tool and as an educational tool. And one day I said, Ron, can I just, um, you know, I feel like this is such an important story to to archive and have documentation of. Can I... um, you know, would you tell me your stories on camera? Um, and so I put together a little, a very short um, piece that's on my website um, with Ron and um, Sandra Hines, another member of the Coalition Against Police Brutality, talking about their experiences from 67. Um, and there's a lot of different institutions in Detroit this summer that are having retrospectives about that year. Oh, that's that sounds great. That's mm-hmm. so. From um, is there a way to find out what those would be, Shanna? Oh, I know that. I think that um, the DIA, I believe, is doing something with home movies that they've unearthed. That sounds really interesting. And then the Detroit Historical Society is doing a whole oral histories project. Um, and then um, I'm not sure. I think that there's a couple of other ones too. And it, the, well. Well, that gives that's great. That gives us a, that's a start. They're coming right? up like, soon, yeah. Because yeah. the the commemoration is July. Um, so in your conversation with Ron Scott, it seems like that your interview rather it would have been you probably have quite a lot of material that didn't make it into the piece that's currently featured on your site. Mm-hmm. Um, but so you started hearing his story, and then that led you to wanting to interview others. Um. I have done some other, the bulk of the rest of the video work that I've done and the interviews that I've done have actually been more recent and they're around environmental justice um, resistance and um, organizing. And so that work I've done in uh, with a collaborative group, um, Kate Levy from Detroit and Bryce Detroit, and they're both artists, filmmakers, cultural producers um, who do uh, grassroots media justice and entertainment justice. And so I've learned so much for them. It's an honor to work with both of them. So what is entertainment justice? Is it is it something that's like Band-Aid? Like a or, you know, or like Live Aid or like, what is entertainment <laughs> justice? 
that's dating me. I think, well, you know, I'm not, I'm probably not the best person to ask because I don't particularly think of myself as someone who does that kind of work. But I think that um, in Detroit, one of the beautiful things about the movement there is just sort of looking at all of our different, the different aspects of our lives holistically and saying, how do we not have this be separate? How do we bring justice into our entertainment, into our music, into pop culture? Um, and so uh, the, this group that I work with um, in particular, um, we have visited a few different um, organizations around the Midwest who've been dealing with industrial legacies and um, fighting fighting that. And um, one of them is the incinerator in Detroit. Um, one of them is We the People in Detroit that works. Um, they've done uh some amazing work around the water shutoffs, resisting the water shutoffs. Um, and is, could I interrupt you for a second? How is how is that going with the water shut shutoffs? Because um, I had conveniently forgotten again, like at a time I knew that Detroit was struggling with this, and um, and then I feel like it's it. I, other things took my attention away. So what is the update on, on Detroit and the water? Um, cause I feel like I've heard more about Flint and I just wanted to do, do, do you, is that something you could speak on Shanna or is that? I wish that I could speak to it more. You know, I, I know that in the summertime they start the water shutoffs again, they start, um, ramping them up again and it gets more aggressive in the summertime, um, which you would think people need water in the summer because right you get dehydrated but um there's something with the pipes and the way that it freezes in the winter where they it makes it more difficult for <laughs> you, them to do this yeah <laughs> you can't shut off the water because the pipes might break oh my I goodness i know that guild, let's go ahead and... guild attorneys are um representing people who were um resisting the water shutoffs that some activists who um, blockaded the Hamrich vehicles, so that court case is still tied up. And and is there um, a site to go to if someone wanted to know more information, or they could contact you? We the people of Detroit. We the people of Detroit. The People's Water Board. They um, those are just two groups. There's a lot of different groups that are doing amazing work, but those are the folks that I know who've been on the ground since the beginning, um, who actually like directly assist families um, and do community outreach. And then the if you're an activist who's resisting water shutoffs or planning water shut off protests or direct action, you can get a hold of the National Lawyers Guild. Thank you, Shanna Marilla, so much for talking with me Thank today. Thank you. Come back anytime. I would love to. Um, and I really appreciate your, your visual art, your documentary photography, and talking about your legal work. It's been fascinating. Um, thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks again to Shanna Marilla for being on the program. Thanks to the Liz for engineering. Until next time.
Estás escuchando WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Bienvenidos a la media hora norteña. vivo en tus recuerdos y por más que lo intentes no me olvidarás aunque te alejes y obligues a tu corazón a odiarme y prohibas al recuerdo recordarme será imposible olvidarme será imposible arrancarme olvidarme un mal recuerdo una caricia o quizás un beso no dejará que tú me olvides estaré por siempre muy cerca de ti algo de mí no dejará que me eches al olvido alguna fecha algún lugar te hará extrañarme vas a negar Jurarás odiarme, pero no será verdad. 